0: God taught Abram that a contented life of faith cherishes the relationships of today and takes tomorrow as it comes. And a 400-year wait is really not much of a problem for someone who has a daily, deep, meaningful relationship with Him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning we are continuing a message series that Pastor Richard began some three weeks ago now. And it's entitled, Abraham, the Call of a Lifetime. In the series we were reminded, I think it was during the first week, Of what it must have been like for Abraham to talk to Sarah and his tribe about God's call for him to move from their home in Ur to a new and promised land very far away. And when I heard Pastor Richard talking about this conversation that Abram must have had with Sarah, I remember what it was like to speak to my own family five years ago next month when we were called to come here from North Carolina. Now, typical to their personalities, my oldest son, Brian, got very quiet. He was dumbstruck when he heard the news. He didn't say a word for quite a while. In fact, it was a long time. He just sat there and went... (laughs) And then there's William... William exploded. Why? What? How can this be? Well, well, what will this place be like? Will there be any kids there? I'm going to have to lose all my friends. And then about 10 minutes later, he was like, hey, tell me about this place. (laughs) You think there'll be any kids there my age in the neighborhood? Hey, kids. It's hard to move, isn't it? If you're under the age of 14 right now and you've had to, Move during your lifetime, raise your hand. Come on. You've all lived here your whole lives, is that right? Okay, there's a few hands, that's good. Was it hard to move? Then you probably asked, you know, what's it gonna be like to go to a new school? Some of you, if you haven't moved here, you came here from other churches and you had to come to a new Sunday school class or a new youth group and you probably wondered, am I gonna fit in? Lots of questions about these things. Now think about how Abram and his kids must have felt when he announced that uh, the whole tribe was going to another land. Oh, wait a minute. Abram didn't have any kids, right? Today we're turning to another chapter in Abraham's life and it happens to be one of the landmark pivotal texts In the entire Old Testament, and actually indeed for the New Testament as well, because it's from here in Genesis 15 that the Apostle Paul builds his understanding of salvation by grace through faith in his letter to the Romans and to the Galatians. I'm going to ask that you would turn there with me now and follow along as I read this passage for us. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. It's actually the entire chapter. This may be found on page 20. And the Bibles that are provided for you, there in the pews. And again, I would ask that you would follow along as I read. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so, my, so a servant into my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body. He will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them... And then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite one another. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell deep into a sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites... And Jebusites. May the Lord God bless to us this reading of his holy word. Chapter, verse 1, chapter 15 begins like this. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Do you ever sigh when you hear words like that? Do you ever wish that God would speak to you directly? Or do you shake your head and say to yourself, wow, why doesn't God ever speak to me the way that he spoke to Abram? I wish that he would. Let me put this into perspective, however. God's first conversation with Abram happened when Abram was 75 years old. And Scripture only records for us eight other direct interactions with God until Abram's death at 175. Eight times in 100 years, with decades of silence in between. That doesn't sound like a lot to me. And Abram didn't control when those conversations were going to occur either. I don't think I've had a lot of those conversations one-on-one direct conversations with God. Probably just a handful, I think. Though maybe in heaven I'll learn that there were actually more. I remember the third time, I think, I think it was the third time that God spoke directly to me. It was during my junior year in college in Greensboro, North Carolina at one of those establishments where college students like to hang out and uh, partake in adult beverages now you all don't need to let me know whether you frequented such establishments in your college career that's okay but you'll be glad to know that I grew out of that face in my life amen very good but there I was in the middle of my junior year of college getting ready to launch into that year and then my seniorhood. right big man on campus whatever I was in the middle of a dance floor with all kinds of um, activities going on around me. Yeah, pretty loud. And uh, Todd spoke to me. And he said this. Brian, don't you think it's time for you to become serious about who I've called you to be instead of doing this? And you know, I looked around at the pretty much ridiculous nature of everything that was occurring all around me. And, uh, and I said, you know, I think you're right. Now, I'd gone to college in my hometown, and so I kept up with a number of my buddies from high school, and they really liked to do all this stuff. So that I knew when I said yes to God uh, that I would probably lose most, if not all, of my friends. But I trusted that God would send me new friends. And he certainly did very shortly afterwards. Friends that I have and to this day, good friends, brothers in Christ, do you trust God for the changes in your life? Changes that God calls you to make? Changes that are foisted upon you from out of the blue. Changes for which you are certainly not asking. Changes that at the time don't feel very good. But in God's plan for your life are very, very good. But you know, here's the thing. What if God had made Abraham an offer? Two choices. Abraham, you can either have eight conversations with me over a period of 100 years, or you can have a book, a big book, a book that every time you open it will tell you about me it'll tell you about my plans and it'll tell you about what I expect what would you take I bet Abram would have taken the book and so would you and I Years ago, a couple of guys I knew went off to uh, a Bible study out in the Midwest. And this school uh, is associated with a number of televangelists uh, that were very prominent in the 70s and 80s and I guess into the 90s. Uh, And if I mention the name of these televangelists, you all would probably know uh, the folks that I am talking about. Well, these fellows went away for a year of school and they came back over the summer. And um, they left Uh, myself and a good friend of mine who became a Southern Baptist pastor. Uh, he's in Greensboro still, our hometown, uh, came back to us and they announced to James and I that they were looking for new revelation from God. And my friend Jer- James turned to them and he said, new revelation from God? I don't want that. I'm still having trouble with the old stuff. Isn't that the truth? God has given you and me more than a lifetime of information about himself and about ourselves more than we could ever assimilate. And it's right at our fingertips. And I'm sure that Abraham would have chosen the Bible over a few random theophanies any time. And I expect the same would be true for us. Moving down to verse 4, God speaks to Abraham because, again, at this point there is no Bible in history. As we know it. And God promises that he will have an heir from his own body. Then he takes Abram outside and he says, Look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your offspring is going to be like that. You know, it occurred to me, living in the south, that whenever it's a good time to go outside and look at the clear sky, it's usually freezing cold and it's not very fun to stand there like this for very long in the freezing weather. In the summertime when it's nice what rolls in? The haze. Can't see anything at night then. But you know there are a few times, there are a few times here in South Carolina when the air will be clear and warm and you can see those twinkling stars and their number. Once in a while, I go back to my grandparents' farm in North Carolina and uh, I'll go out there. It's not so loud. And after I give my eyes enough time to adjust, I can see thousands of stars and planets in that black eternity of space. Now, when my dog is fortunate enough to go, our West Highland Terrier, Knox, he's not so overawed by this experience. fact, he never looks up. He is consumed by his universe of smells. But I always think about the majesty of God during these times, and I love the silence. Abram was alone in the silence too. When God spoke to him, Abraham said nothing. He was speechless. There were only stars in silence. So how did faith come to Abram? What changed his life? Well, faith came because God spoke. And when God spoke, God's word became the voice around which Abram's whole life was focused. His faith was not a human achievement or the result of any decision that he made. It came from God into the darkness and doubt of his soul. And it caused him to surrender to the one who had spoken a promise into his life. That's the way that faith comes to us. It comes by the power of God. Later on in the New Testament, when Peter expresses his faith in Christ, Jesus explains to those who are gathered, he says, This revelation came to Peter this way. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. God told it to him. He didn't come up with that on his own. And then later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writing To the Christians in Ephesus, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. You didn't cook this up on your own. It didn't come to you because you figured it out one day, because you were cute and smart. It comes as a gift of God, not the result of works, not the result of anything that you might do where you think you can please me. It comes as a gift so that you can never, ever, ever, ever boast that you figured it out in a way that somebody else couldn't. It's all me. Genesis 15 records at this point One of the most magisterial texts in the entire Bible. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Before God spoke to Abram. Abram had only doubting questions. What if the kings of the east come back with bigger, bigger armies. And they wallet me. How am I going to stand up to them? And what is this about Sarah and I having a baby? Oh, please. But now there's faith. Notice Abram did not do anything himself righteous. Instead of his trusting belief alone, instead of trusting alone, God brought faith into his life by speaking to him. And turning him toward God and ushering Abram into a relationship with himself. God's declaration to Abram hit planet earth like a spiritual thermonuclear bomb. In the ancient Near East in those days, the other religions all demanded appeasement based on ritual performance of acts do this and maybe the gods will like you and will bless your crops or whatever. Followers of Islam today in some ways the spiritual descendants of these religions hope that Allah will be moved to have mercy based upon their merits when he weighs the good and the bad in their lives in a scale. If you ask a devout Muslim whether he or she feels secure that they're going to reach paradise after death, the traditional response is Inshallah, which in Arabic means, if God wills it. The funny thing is, sometimes that response sounds like some of the responses I get when I distribute our new member questionnaire. Now, how many of you have joined this church in the last five years? Very good. Remember our new member class? All right. All right there was a written questionnaire first question goes like this if you passed away today on what basis would God allow you into heaven? In the vast majority of cases, the vast majority most folks knock this one out of the park. My acceptance into heaven is based upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. My acceptance into heaven Uh, Comes through faith in Christ, faith in God, the gift of his shed blood for me. These are all great answers. That's usually the way it comes out. That's wonderful. But every once in a while, there'll be something that comes through like this. Well, I'm not sure, but I try to do my best. Uh, All in all, I think I do more good things than bad things. I mean, try to be a good parent. I feed the cat on a regular basis now. I don't kick puppy dogs anymore. I'm a nice person. I really am. And I hope God will be happy with me. My friends, this is Islamic theology, light. And it represents a spiritual roller coaster ride that will wear you out if you get on it. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. So let me ask you. Have you trusted the Son of God, Jesus Christ alone for your eternal destiny? Or are you still trying to work that out on your own? Filling God in on whatever progress you might make from time to time? But hoping for the best. Are you trusting what you've done for God or for what God has done for you? Right after God declared Abram righteous and promises him the land, Abraham asks God in verse 8, he says, O sovereign Lord, how can I know this? So in verse 9, God says to him these things. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then down further in verse 17, it says this, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Abram has faith that God cares, that God is sovereign, that God is good. And he stakes his life, his entire life, upon this affirmation. So everything was good to go, right? Abram was ready to enjoy the fruits of the covenant that God had literally cut with him. Look back at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but i will punish the nation that serves they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions you however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the amorites has not yet reached its full measure you know what if god told you and i to move out of an apartment where we were living to move out and to move into a new house that was going to be ours, free and clear. So we packed up, moved the family to the new apartment, settled in, and we waited for the contract to be signed and delivered. And the real estate agents got involved and the lawyers and everything else. What happened? And the house would be yours. But then, shocker, doesn't happen for 400 years. Talk about fine print in the contract, Right? And this is kind of what happened to Abraham. But this is not unique to a life of faith. It's important for us to realize that God is under no obligation to live up to our expectations of how he is supposed to work in our lives. Not only do God's plans often involve difficulty that we do not expect, they often take a long time to unfold. And this can be hard for us, especially for those of us who live in our our modern Western culture. I mean, folks, we measure time now in nanoseconds. I need more RAM. What do you mean I have to wait three seconds for my computer to catch up to my mental speed? We gotta go here, folks. On TV, sitcoms, I saw it the other day. Some major life crisis is resolved in 30 minutes. Gotta get it done. We swim in this. It's all around us. A sense of impatience and anticipation. We don't wait for anyone. I mean, shoot, we have a problem when Costco gets backed up or Bilo. Gee, what's going to go on there? And you know what? Here's the thing, though. This impatience that becomes a part of the way that we live our lives can begin to spill over into our relationship with God and with other people as well. For example, those of us who are parents can get so caught up And expecting the next developmental phase in our children that we can end up looking through the present to the future. I remember years ago I did this. I so anticipated some of the major developmental life steps and and, and the the growth of my boys. Like the day that they were finally able to close the van door themselves. Yes, Lord. And they could strap themselves in the car seat. Get in the boat, boys. We're going. That was a big one. Now, I'm teaching my 16-year-old how to drive. Where did it go? I think all of us, myself included, spend too much time thinking about the next thing, the next stage in our lives and what it will be like. We are so high-octane, high-achievement, goal-focused that we can miss that which is right in front of us. People look at me kind of funny sometimes when, uh, when I say that uh, one of the greatest things about going on one of these mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and you're all invited by the way. One of the greatest things about those trips is how I come back having learned more about myself. When you're there, you can find you can kind of find yourself doing a lot of things that you don't normally do around here, and it's neat. Things like holding hands with some kids you don't know and just rambling around for no apparent reason, just having fun. Or holding your breath The contest with some eight-year-old. Oh, they love it. They're just hanging out. God taught Abram... Then a contented life of faith cherishes the relationships of today and takes tomorrow as it comes. And a 400-year wait is really not much of a problem for someone who has a daily, deep, meaningful relationship with Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that You have blessed us with access to the oracles and wisdom of the Scriptures. For we need your guiding word. Life in this fallen world is so uncertain and often frightening. We cannot even control today, let alone what will happen tomorrow or next year. So lead us always to choose the wisdom of radical trust in your character and in your promises. Instead of our own inadequate capacity to try to get things right on our own. Lord, we ask these things trusting in your covenant promises, and waiting for your son's return. We pray this through his name. Amen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846. Or visit our website at firstpressgreenville.org. Register now for Weird Animals Vacation Bible School at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. The program is free for rising K 4 through 12th grade. Visit firstpressgreenville.org to sign up. Get the premiere.